Welcome to the Montague Podcast, episode one, which I've created for you guys to listen, inspire, and educate yourselves from some of the world's most interesting, successful, and highest performing people out there. I hope you guys enjoy. So my first guest today is one of the world's leading estate agents uh, with a career spanning over 20 years. He has sold some of the most incredible properties worldwide with a value over 3.5 billion. Mr. Superprime himself, one of the partners at Knight Frank in London, Daniel Daggers. How are you? Thank you very much. Wow. That, Welcome. That's, that's, that's a great way to end me there. <laughs> Thank you. How's everything? Everything's good. Everything's good. So we were just talking off camera a little bit about how the market is at the moment, which we'll come mm -hmm. on to in a sec. But for me, one of the key things that I wanted to have you on the show for and I wanted to talk about, and I think it's so, so important for everyone that watches this type of thing, is it's, it's quite clear that you've established yourself as... The, the pinnacle in this industry, but thank you. Where, where did you start? Like, how does how do you? Where, what was the child of Daniel like? All right. So, firstly, thank you so much for having me on. You're welcome. I really appreciate it. Um, and and to be put in a position where we can influence other people in the business, just stepping into the business is a is a is an amazing place to be. So, I don't take this opportunity lightly. Um, I started off in an estate agency in the window, Vickers and Company, um, which is just a small independent office in Maidervale, which is a West London postcode. Um, and they put me in the window. There's a, it was a seven-person office. I was 17 and a half, spotty teenager, first job, didn't do great at school. And uh, my first day I walked in, they said, there's your desk, there's your Rolodex where you put the details in, there's a book. There's a pen, there's your telephone, that is your weapon of mass destruction. Did you have some Wolf of Wall Street sales training? No, I didn't have any training. Actually, it was training on the job and the best thing about it, and then, and then just, just to like, just give you the full perspective, then there was a cabinet full of details, right, which are, you know, sales particulars, yeah. and then there was a fax machine, no computers. What year was this? This was in 19... Uh, Night, when was it? Oh, uh, I was, I was, no, it's okay. I was, I was 17 and a half, so you get to say it's 20 years ago. So it was 1997. I should really remember that better. Um, what, was, what was it like then? I can't even, I can't even it's remember. It's totally different. It's totally different. You're too young. Um, <laughs> it was totally different. It was totally different. You'd sit in your office, you'd wait for the phone to ring, you'd realize very quickly that if you don't pick up the phone, you lose your opportunity to do any business. So you have to be like a cowboy to the gun, you know, really quick to the phone, pick up the lead and embrace that person unbelievably well, right? Put how your arms around how them. did you, like, so you're 17 years old, mm. why, why an estate agent? Was that like, I mean, be honest, was that like the only job available to you at the time? You just oh, yeah, no, no, no. So, so growing up as a kid, I was terrible at school. School didn't teach me the way I like to learn. And so I was practically told that I yeah. was a little bit simple. Um, and... I wanted to study surveying because um, my family had a bit of involvement with property and in real estate there's a very low barrier to entry. They had to get a license, albeit they may be changing that, which they should do. Um, and it was like, it was a bit of a no-brainer to go into the industry, okay? Um, I didn't get the impression from schooling that I was going to be a high achiever and I could go and work for Goldman Sachs or Merrill Lynch, one of the investment, investment banks, but real estate was a low barrier of entry and my dad did a little bit of it, so that seemed like, you know, like a good you know, place to be. Obviously, on that subject of 
getting into the industry easily. Yeah. Nowadays, with Night Frank being such a big business, mm -hmm. is there a requirement? Are they looking for grads? Now? Has that like entry level, has that changed now? So we've got a grad scheme. Um, and, and the grad scheme's great. Like, you know, you're going to get a lot of talented people who are at university and, and are studying interesting things, hopefully real estate. Um, but I'm a true believer of, of, I don't look at a CV and go, wow, this person's going to be brilliant. Like, I'm employing someone at the moment to be part of the team, to work with my colleague Charles and I. Yeah. And I don't look at a CV and go, well, he got a D in English and he got a B in maths. I... I have a look at his CV, I see if he's got, we need someone who's got expertise, who's been in the business, right, who understands sales. And I look at it and I'm like, okay, fine, has he got any life experience? Where's he come from? Where does he work now? Does he understand the sector? And then I want him to sit in front of me and I want to understand the human that is in front of me, his drivers, his interests, how he wants to be managed, how he wants to work, yeah, how he wants to communicate with me. And then I want to know whether or not he knows how to do that with a potential customer base and does he know how to network and is he a creative thinker because those are the most important things that's it which i don't teach you at school no do you know what? i have a lot of conversations with people i mean i could rant for hours about how bad school is i mean i've got two kids and i think uh we send them to like a Montes 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 uh, yeah, montessori yeah, yeah, nursery yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it's like it's clear my son leo is like really into like engineering things and when you focus like education around it, what he wants to learn and you get the most out of him. And I was a little bit similar to you. I didn't... Um, well, if you enjoy anything, you do well yeah, at it. I, right? I hated school. Usually. I hated it with a passion. I probably, that's probably been the thing I've been most passionate about is hating school. Um, and I think the frustrating thing is I get loads of people send me CVs to work with me, as I'm sure you do. And it's, I think it's difficult because like that, that sort of formula that they give you to get into the working world is just so like outdated. It kind of like almost puts yeah, people it, in a, like, a wrong but, but position when they start. I'm not going to pretend to know everything about the educational system, but what I do think is happening, and I see a lot of uh, VC, venture capitalists, and people looking to do new stuff, um, and I see the education sector being challenged drastically, like the real estate world. And, and I think that's a good thing, because you need the world to evolve. And if you're in a place where you're not evolving, then um, it's harsh, but you die. Right? <laughs> yeah, 100%. yeah, your business dies. 100%. And so creative thinking and doing something new that is different is really important. How, how much do you think to, to get to the, if, if someone's young and they're starting out again and want to get into a state agency, how important do you think location is from where they start? Like could, if someone used all of the characteristics you've got, do you think that they could succeed in any area in the UK? Because I imagine being an estate agent in Hull is quite different to being one in central London. Okay. So um, you need some core ingredients, right? You need to have a lot of energy, a lot of passion, determination, be a people, people person, understand emotion, yeah, and drivers. Yeah. And if you take most of those and you put it anywhere, you'll do well. You'll do relatively well, okay? So I worked in North London, in St. John's Wood, in this, in this neighbourhood of estate agents that are super determined characters really really tough market and if you can survive there and excel if, you, if you're lucky and you can excel not like you make the luck but if you can really excel there i felt that i could do it in central central london and i wanted to challenge myself how many people did you work for before you went into night I, I worked at vigors and company for 11 years which is probably too, uh, too I, long. I don't know that. Are they still about? Or? Yeah, they're still about. I love them. They're like family. 
Um, I drive past them, I hoot, they, wire, they wave at me. Um, I owe them a huge amount. Um, I was that 17 and a half year old kid. I did some work experience there for two weeks. I was studying yeah. business studies, which is where I started to understand how interesting it was for me. And, um, and then they gave me an opportunity afterwards and said, uh, do I want to uh, come in and work uh, permanently? And I said, yeah. So I worked there for 11 years and it was too long. It was too long because they didn't want to give me equity in the business. And that was the reason why I left. I felt you I was, headhunted for I was 27. No, everyone knows everybody in the agency world, right? So if someone's good at something, people just speak to them and say, what's going on? And so I had an opportunity. I was 27. I had 11 years worth of experience or 10 years worth of experience. Well, I was 28, something like that. And a lot of people knew me and I did a lot of good. I never screwed anyone over. I was always happy to help people. I worked really hard. And I've got clients to this day that say, I'm going to give you business because we love you or we really like you. And I remember when you were that spotty teenager in the window and driving past and going, there he is working hard. There he is working hard. So people see me on my journey and they still support me. And that's really important for kids in this world to know that there's consequences to your actions. Do you my think if someone, if someone shadowed you today, for a day versus shadowing you 10 years ago, what would be different apart from the properties? Apart from the properties and language that I use, because my language has evolved, um, I'm very similar to that kid. I'll still work practically for free. I'll give you loads of free advice. I'll do the right thing. I'll be super helpful. I'll tell you how I feel. All those sort of things, right? They're core fundamentals, lots of energy. Where do, yeah. where do you where do you obviously you've had an amazing career? Where do you look at like the key milestones of achievement that you say? Was it you've obviously settled over over three and a half billion pounds? Was it the first dollars. billion? Was it dollars? Was it the first billion? Was it the first? I didn't look at it that was way. It, I never you? looked at it that way. So um, people to get. I think people get caught up in the moment a lot, and so when what I do, you, it, what do you mean by that? Well, I could sit there and count every deal that I've done. Well, as I do that deal and really enjoy that moment aggressively and go out and spend that money when I was working on commission and I would do that. And I remember getting my first big paycheck and it was, just to put into perspective, my, my first, my salary for, 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 for working at Vickers was £7,000 a year. <laughs> All right? Crazy. And then, and then what would happen is every three months you would get paid your commission and all my deals were yellow folders on my desk. And so when I had a couple of yellow folders, I knew I was doing all right. Yeah, I had three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve folders. And I was like, well, well, this this could be good. Yeah. And I remember getting my first ever proper paycheck, what I felt was proper, which How was like it was just over ten thousand pounds, right? Which is a lot of money. It all came in at once. I did laser deals and it all came at once. And I remember getting my my check and I had a little pay slip. So I paid it in, and I had this little pay slip and I kept it in my wallet. And I've, I've got a lot of new friends, but I've got a lot of old friends. And so when I was going out, I was probably, how old was I? I was probably 20, 24 when I got that check, 24, 23, something like that. So I've been working for six years or something like that. And uh, I remember going out that night and, and taking my friends out and saying, well, I'm, I'm getting the drinks that tonight's on me kind of thing. And I'm like, really? Wow, why, what? And I showed like, a couple of my friends my paycheck and I was so happy. I was so happy to share it with my friends. That was the best feeling. It wasn't having the money in the bank. 
Yeah. It was sharing it with my friends. That was really important to me. So understanding what you're doing in the moment's vital. Calculating my total sales and bits and pieces like that just puts it into perspective for people to have a snapshot understanding of what I've done in my career. It's not for me to fantasize over stuff. What's the driving force? What's, what's getting you up in the morning? What, you wake up, what time do you wake up? So I'm waking up earlier, actually. Um, is that the heat? Yeah, the heat. I, I slept so badly the past two today, nights. When we're shooting, this is the hottest day ever on it's 30, the 38 degrees and the traffic was so bad that I had to walk <laughs> half, of the, half of the way. But um, yeah, the heat's been, it's, it's tough, hey? That's why air conditioning is so important. Um, but we digress. I wake up at about 6, 6.30, depending on how late I go to sleep. Yeah. Um, I'll wake up, I'll have a protein shake, I'll go to the gym and get beaten up by my personal trainer or, or, or do it myself. So BXR is my gym, my friends are the owners, I'm one of the, the first ever members. It's a great space, lovely space. Um, but I recently employed a, a PT. I, I'm approaching 40 and I was like, I've led quite a clean life, um, which is important to me because I feel that if you want to be successful at stuff, it's good to be. Have you always had that, or is that something you've learned? Oh, I tried to football? make it as a professional footballer when I was a kid. Did you? Yeah. Who, which, who do you support? I'm an Arsenal fan. That's a shame. So we've gone through a little bit of pain. Yeah, but I did grow up during the invincible season, and, I, <laughs> and none of my friends could talk to me because I was so proud about it. But um, no, I wanted to be a professional footballer. I tried, but I knew in my heart of hearts that I wasn't going to make it. I didn't have the physical capabilities. And at the time, that was vitally important. Um, was that that weird transition then where they started to focus on like, athletic abilities more than what you were like? It was literally how big you were, how hard you could tackle, yeah, um, how fast you could run, and could you run forever? That's what it was about. It wasn't about, are you technically gifted? Do you, can you see the game ahead of other people? Uh, what kind of pattern of play do you want to, you know, how do you want to play your game? All that sort of stuff. I had all of that. I was good at that. Um, but I just couldn't run through walls. And I didn't fancy smashing into people, to be honest with you. Um, so that didn't happen. But I'm relatively high achiever. Like, I like winning. I like team sports. I like winning together. And, um, and I see every day as a great opportunity and going, to go and enjoy myself and do stuff that, that, that I like doing. And at the end of the day, feeling a little bit fulfilled that I've done something good. Did you, did, you, did you go back sort of like 10 years? Did you set goals to where you are now? No. Has, that, has that been an important thing? I had a really weird instinct that if I kept on doing what I was doing and, had, and thought creatively, that my life could take me into interesting places. So what would you, so what would you how could someone replicate that formula? Because people talk about law of attraction, they talk about like studying, but would you believe in any of that? No. So, so I, I, I think the world's an amazing place now for young people, okay? Um, and I want them to appreciate it and understand it because they have an opportunity now to consume so much information, right? People really, um, they, they kill social media, right? They kill social media, um, they demonize it, and... Um, and as a kid, if you're not, if 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 there if there aren't people around you that sort of give you a, like soft direction, then you can you can be consuming really bad content, right? Really bad stuff. Yeah. Um, so it's not just what you put in your mouth, nutrients wise. No, it's what it's what, what, it's you're, what you're listening to, well. what you're looking at, what you're reading. Uh, I'm not going to be shy to say that I'm partially addicted to my phone, but this is my this is this is how I work. Right? How long do you spend on Insta a day? Uh, 
on Insta, I don't, uh, I'm not entirely sure. I don't really check it. Um, but most of the time, I'm engaging with my client base and my customer base. And if I'm doing that, I'm okay. Uh, if I'm looking at rubbish stuff, then it's not okay and I'm turning it off. Let me ask you a question. How much have you, obviously, you, let's say you sold, like, what's the highest value property you've ever sold? Uh, it was reported in a newspaper about six months ago that I sold London's most expensive house in the past 10 years for £95 million. So, you know, obviously, you wouldn't anyway, but the buyer that's bought that, mm. do you ever, at that level, obviously, um, there's top 1, 1.11111% of the world, mm. do you ever pick up stuff from them? I imagine these are all high achievers, high performers in their own industry. Uh, how much you learn from... <laughs> if I want to get better, I'm going to consume as much quality information from the best people I possibly can. Yeah? So when I've got a captured audience, it sounds like it's a terrible way of phrasing it, but when I'm in a car with someone, with anyone, um, I'm going to learn from that person. I, 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 see, I see my brain and myself as like Neo from uh, The Matrix, right? Neo in The Matrix, if you've watched it, you've seen it, right? Yeah? I've like about a thousand years ago. Yeah, okay, sorry. So Neo in The Matrix, right, when he wants to learn how to fly a helicopter, right, he sits in the chair and he plugs this thing into the back of his head and someone downloads it in his brain, okay? I see my life that way. So if I can sit with someone who has got amazing expertise in camera work and I ask that person the right questions I'm going to learn stuff that would be so difficult to learn right I'd have to consume so much I'd have to firstly find it which isn't that easy well it's easier but then consume the right information whereas then I can ask the best person in the world of what they do the right questions well, all of a sudden I, I, I've just uploaded amazing information yeah that's how I look at what, at what point, so let's say, because I'm always interested about this because mm. I, I like to study, because I think for a lot of people watching this, they're not going to have always, I'm fortunate I live in London as well, you, you probably deal with much more high-end clients than I do, but mm. for, for a guy that's living in Somerset or who's in the other side of the world, maybe he's in his bedroom in Berlin right now watching yep. this, he's not going to have access to just the internet, which I think is fantastic, probably you agree, like the, how much good information you can access on the internet. It's, it's just, unbelievable. It's out of this, out of this world. Do you think that they should start to study people? Do you think if you're a young person, you should begin to study successful people because you don't believe no, in necessarily... It's, it's, a, so it's a brilliant question. It's a brilliant question. Firstly, the best people are the most creative people. Well, the Steve Jobs of the world, those They just things. think differently. They see opportunity. If I hit a wall, I'm thinking to myself, why have I hit the wall? How do I get over the wall? How do I dig under the wall and how do I get round the wall? Okay. Then I start thinking creatively, and then what happens after that? So the way, I, the way I'm looking at social, for instance, if we could rewind 40 years, and we had Instagram and YouTube, right? Let's say Instagram, because it's just so efficient, it's yeah. so easy to use. And you gave it to Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs had Instagram, and, and um, Bill Gates had Instagram. And they were documenting their days, like I document my days. And you were able to watch them build Apple and Microsoft. Do you think you'd learn anything? Yeah, 100%. And it's, I can't remember what it I don't know if it was Joe Rogan that said that, but there was, if you, now we've got an opportunity to, from, from literally zero to 100, to track someone's success. Is that I mean, part of the that, reason why you document on Instagram? Sure, 100%. I'm not doing it to, to reach ultra high net worth people. If that happens, that's great. And I can, I can execute business for them and support them and advise them, then great. I'm 
I want to mentor as many people as I possibly can in an efficient manner. So I create a higher boundary of entry for the business. So I drive quality in the, like increase the quality of the real estate agent. Yeah. And create a better environment, a safer environment, a healthier environment, a more trusted environment for potential customers. That's why I do this. So I've done obviously in the, in the build up to this, I've done some research on yourself and a little bit about your team. <laughs> oh, no. you've got, so you've got quite a young team by all accounts from what we can picture. You need a lot of energy. Lot. So going back to what we were speaking about a second ago, mm -hmm. someone knocks on your door and says, Daniel, I want to work for you guys. What, how much of it do they have to be sort of the finished article in terms of like the characteristics and how much are you prepared to t roll the dice on someone? And because you're talking about mentorship, how much energy are you prepared to put in if you think someone's got So it's difficult because I'm in a corporate world, right? So I can't spend my time on everything. And, and if I had an opportunity to mentor 50 people once a week and put them in a room and talk to them about how to make a phone call, and I really mean that, yeah, which they don't teach you at university. And when you come out of university and you think you've got this degree, when all of a sudden a guy stands up in front of you, hasn't been to university, and he says, right, how'd you make a phone call to this person? And they're looking at you like, sorry, excuse me? Yeah, it's crazy. But there's an art to everything. So I can't do that all day and every day. I'd like to because it's one of my passions. I love helping people. Do you right. enjoy sales? Do you like that? I don't see it as like, do, do you, do you, do you I've like never looked at it. Because I actually do. I enjoy like closing a deal. Like, that's bit, the, the biggest thing that I no, enjoy. No, no. I, I like the hurdle. I like jumping the hurdle. Like the objections, I, the no's. No, I'd like, no, no. I, I like putting two people together or two things together and agreeing terms. Because when you agree terms, both parties have to be happy to a certain extent, right? All the estate agents and people in sales who think, yes, I've I've sold this person something and it's such a bad deal for them, right? Okay, that's bad. That's really bad for you, your business ethics, to a certain extent, and to the fact that you probably won't do any more business with that person ever again, right? The ideal, the ideal deal is where both parties are happy. It's so weird you say that because I was talking off camera with Lewis who works with me, uh, and, I was saying, and I said to clients as well, the best deal is where everyone wins, isn't it? Sure. So if I'm it's, happy with the deal, you're happy with the deal. Yeah. Whoever's involved is happy with the deal. That's the best deal. Yep. So what I if, think so. If you're, like, Look, in certain instances, when I'm when I'm employed by an individual or by a business, and they want to they want to transact on something at the best price, I'm going to get them the best price. Okay. But there is an element of the only way that person's going to do that deal is if the vendor or the buyer agrees to do that deal. Okay. And if they're not forced to then it's about you know, getting the right terms. But you know, there's special expertise in doing stuff like this. I, one of the things that like, really ground my gears, and I don't know if you experienced this, is that I find that as a, as a nation in the UK, this, and I'm gonna call it sales, I know that you're gonna, you're not, you don't like that terminology. But no, no, I don't mind it. It's not, I, I don't I, mind I, it. I think the standard of customer service slash sales slash ability to interact with a consumer, yeah. I think is very poor. In this country, why do you um, think that is? I, I, I don't know. I think a lot of it's got to do with the, I think the culture and how how I think salespeople are. I mean, look at this. You've got paid it's seven thousand pounds. It's pride, isn't it? I don't know. I don't know if it's pride. You don't think I don't so? I don't, I'm sure. I mean, I, I don't know the answer. I think I but think it's I think it's a bit of pride. Why do you think that? 
Because if you take pride in what you do, it doesn't matter if you're selling matches or if you're selling the most expensive property in the world, you're going to be passionate about it. But it's almost like to begin with that there's this weird thing about, because like you said, sales is very easy to get into, but it's often the most rewarding, which is quite unique, isn't it? It is or it isn't, sorry. It is. It's the most rewarding, usually financially. Um, than... I mean, look, it's, I don't know. I, I, my, my view on the world and how it's working is changing like, drastically. Um, you know, the people who used to, I didn't go to university, a lot of my friends did. When they came out of university, they started to make a lot more money than me. I stayed in a career and worked 20 years, and I'm not gonna say I'm, work, I'm making a lot more money than them, but some people might see me as a more successful individual. So that says that necessarily going to university doesn't, doesn't necessarily put you in a place yeah, for that, right? I and, and, I, and I am a salesman, albeit I don't see it as sales, I see it as a, I'm a marketeer. I posted about this recently on social media. I'm marketing. You are marketing yourself. These yeah, guys are marketing themselves. What you wear, your haircut, your, brand, isn't your it? glasses, your shoes, where you spend your time, who you spend your time with, how fit you are, how healthy you are, what you eat, says everything about you to a certain extent. That's marketing. The only point... How much of that do you think about for yourself? How much? I've thought about it as a kid. I, I, I came from super humble background. Super humble background. I grew up in local authority housing till I was 11. I'm not ashamed by it. I love it. My parents gave me the most unbelievable um, opportunity. They really did. They gave me a really humbling start and they gave me a lot of love and a lot of attention and they built my, my character so that I was able to go out and do really well. So um, I realized when I was a kid and I was in the shop window and I was, do and I was doing the job and I had two guys who were in competition with me and were my bosses and I love those guys. And then I had 20 other offices nearby all trying to sell the same products as me to the same people. So what did I need? The little edge. I needed a reason why people wanted to give me a chance. Why did they want to do business with me? I had to give them that reason. I, I remember as a kid thinking about this, thinking, what am I going to do to give myself the best opportunity to transact with people? And that was to build trust with them. That was to onboard them in a way that I was going to be myself and hopefully they're going to resonate with me and they were going to love me a little bit and they were going to give me more chance than they would give anyone else by simply pick up, picking up the phone when I call them, right? Can you imagine a property comes to the market with two agents, two different firms, and the guys who work with me. So now all of a sudden there's six, six guys, and we've all got the same buyers to a certain extent in the offices. Whoever engages with the buyer who ends up buying the property first wins. So I needed to make sure they were going to pick up the phone to me before anyone, they picked up the phone to anyone else. Well, not on that subject, so I'm quite interested. When, when you, so let's say a 20 million pound property comes to the market mm -hmm. and it's, how do you, how do, what's the thought process? How do you think, right, that, do you think that's perfect for so-and-so? Yes, please. Um, do you think that's, that's going to be amazing? That's got three yeah. floors on it. Do, do you kind of have like yeah. a little hit list in your head? Yes. If you're, if you're really sick, every estate agent should have a list of the most motivated buyers they've got. And it's the job of the buyer to convince the agent that they are ready to buy a property. Because if they want to get the first phone call, they need to do that, that's part of the deal. So how have you used social media to get that edge? 
I was doing it before anyone else was. I'll be honest, we, we, we looked in intensely as well. We can't, credit to you, we can't find anyone that's even in the space that's remotely interesting with any sort of real traction. Um, <laughs> no, there's some other people there. There's some, look, don't shit, don't, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. It do, no, it's okay. It doesn't matter how many, how many people that follow you, right? It doesn't. It just, it just matters about what, what you're producing, what you're saying, what you're doing. What is the goal of your social media? Do you use any just other awareness. Platforms? Just awareness. Do you use like uh, Twitter? Things yeah, like that? automatically uploads to my Twitter account and to my, my work Facebook page and stuff like that. But it's just an awareness play. Yeah? I can sell the world on my business. I can sell the world. I can sell the best real estate on the planet. And like Frank. Do you have many people just through chance that go, oh, actually, do you know what? I really like that property you've just posted? Loads. That's interesting. That, must, that, that, gives, that automatically well, gives you It is wish. interesting, but I just think it's so obvious. I but just think it's so obvious. I think people it's so don't obvious. do that. People don't because, go the extra mile. But that, it's not about going the extra mile. It's just that a lot of people in the UK are told to sit in the box and don't think creatively. Yeah? Whereas in the US and in Europe and in Asia, people want to be free thinkers and independent thinkers, so they find creative places and then they build businesses off the back of that. And, and I saw an opportunity that was just a bit of a no-brainer for me. How do you think this will affect the future of the UK market specifically? Well, obviously, like the, social, the use of social media. Oh, it's going to have a massive impact. Ginormous. So, let's, say, let's say I've just started... It already has. Let's say I'm just a letting agent. I've just got a job at um, Night Frank as a lettings agent, for example, just mm -hmm. a normal office, nothing too mm -hmm. crazy, nothing central London, just sort of in the, in the bottom 10%, and I've got an Instagram profile. So just so you know, the bottom 10%, right, is the 0.0001% of the population. Okay. Okay, so... I'm trying to think of the worst possible case scenarios, worst starting well, point. Well, I don't think there is a worst starting point. I think that if you, if you, if you in London, you've got the most amazing opportunity, right? You're in the capital of the world, currently. You're in the capital of the world, I believe that multicultural society to a certain extent, and you've got an opportunity to go and do business. You've got a platform to go and work from. But the first things I would say to you is set up your social media profile, give the image that you want to deliver to the market. If you, if and you, your, your images are quite, they're, they're at a higher end of But that's images. my market. But do you believe that someone should just be taking action, no matter how good, should they be focused on the quality, or they should just hundred percent? It's all about it's, it's both. It's both. You know, don't post pictures of toilets for God's sake. You know, that's ridiculous. Post nice pictures of stuff, absolutely fine, and then create content and be yourself. Be yourself. How much do you focus on actually engaging? I've seen that you've got a few posts that are videos, but primarily a lot of it's the aesthetics of the property. Um, do you believe, I mean, have you got any goals to use other platforms like YouTube, any other sort sure, of... Sure, I just need to find the time. I've got a lot to talk about. There's a lot of things that I want to talk about, how the industry is changing, where investment is leading to, how people are using property, you know, how London's changing as a whole. And if London's changing, then what you tend to see is that there's patterns that are going to take place in other global hubs like Berlin and New York. And I'm fortunate enough to have worked for 21 years. Okay, so I have a huge amount of experience, starting from selling £80,000 studio flats to some of the most expensive real estate on the planet. And so I have a real deep and wide knowledge of the sector. And that means that I can see patterns. And if I see patterns and I action them, then it will be a really interesting place. 
So where do where do you? I mean, you've you've got the platform now to to share it. What what do you? Why why is London the centre of the world for you? Mm, part of it is geographic. Yeah. Depends which way you look at it. We got no. We're we're super lucky. Geographically, we are super lucky, right? Two two global powerhouses in different parts of the world. Right? You've got China and India here, yeah, and then you've got the US here, and we sit right in between, right? Then you've got Europe trying to figure itself out, yeah, and Russia, and other places. A lot of wealth creation taking place in these places, not so much in the UK. Why do you think that is? Well, because we're going through a bit of a change. It's not taxation and stuff like that. It's, it's more about um, private money, creating more opportunities for people to blow up in their businesses. Because this is quite a corporate environment in the UK. Yeah? Staged, corporate, tiered, hierarchy environment. So I, don't, I don't often think when I speak to people in all walks of life, I don't think they really encourage entrepreneur, entrepreneurialism, is that the word? Being an entrepreneur. Yeah. Whereas I think in the States, it's like peppered everywhere you look that everyone's encouraging you to start your own thing be your own business work for yourself yeah but the world's the world's now diluted yeah because everyone can see everything on social media now and it's great to be an entrepreneur until it isn't yeah do you think that time will come do you think that like yeah, do you think of course, it's a fad right? do you think this is like no i don't think it's a fad no i think the world has just changed before it was it was um extremely corporate and rigid and now there's much more money in the system there's a lot of wealthy people on the planet that's multiplying those people want to put that money into different things a lot of it is going into charity from what i understand um charitable businesses are the fastest growing businesses in the world wow. at the moment um i i do see a lot of positivity happening you know i'm certainly more conscious about stuff well, do you, do you mean I things like been. pollution, like the environment? Everything and, like and people. Stuff. Look at the mentorship that's going on at the moment. You know, the fact that I've travelled to Tel Aviv and to um, Los Angeles recently and everyone's on scooters, right? Electric scooters. And yes, there's a, obviously a danger element of that because if you fall over and you hurt yourself, it's dangerous and you can hit someone else in bits and pieces. But we had Boris bikes here and everyone's going bonkers about wearing helmets with Boris bikes. Well, no one wears any helmets for Boris bikes, yeah? But if you look at the bigger, bigger picture, and as long as people are very careful about what they, how they use these things, you look at the bigger picture, your carbon footprint goes down, speed to work and bits and pieces is, is so much more um, efficient. Well, it's a good thing. Are you unique in your way of thinking there? Is, is no, your, your I think that... Is as a whole like that? Yeah, I think that, um, I think if one person thinks that way and is open about it, more people will resonate. That's what I think. We're on the subject of Boris, obviously he came into power, is it today, yesterday, but he's, yeah. he's, in, he's in there somewhere, yeah. doing his hair flopping about. Yeah. What do you, th what do you think he guy. brings to, I like him, but what do you think he brings to the UK now? Have, have you, you, between him and Hunt, who were the, obviously the two frontrunners? Well, Hunt was a very, very, Hunt is a very astute businessman. Were you I think he's the wealthiest MP on the planet. Uh, did, or in the UK. Sorry. Did you favour him coming into power more for your business? Or no. Um, did I have an opinion? Did I your did. clients have an opinion, which is probably more important? Did, mm. Do they ring you and say, what, what do you think is going to happen? How does this affect the market? My clients are fed up with Brexit. I think we all are. It's been three years. When you're buying real estate, um, if you're buying real estate for a purpose, not just for an investment, 
then sometimes that purpose forces you to buy real estate. So for instance, you've got two kids. You live in a three-bedroom house? Five. But... Five-bedroom house, okay, so maybe it wouldn't force you. But yes, say you have four kids, you're living in a five-bedroom house, and you're doing relatively well for yourself. You might have to move to find a bigger house. Yeah. So that's a personal circumstance that's going to push you to trade. So at the moment, you'll sit on a Sunday lunch with your family, and you'll go, yeah, I've just bought a house. And they'll go, are you nuts? Yeah? Market's shallow. Not sure what's going to go on with prices, Brexit, this and that, stamp, duty. And you're going to sit there at the table and think, what have I done? Right? Peer pressure. Yeah. Peer pressure doesn't get to me. If I want to do something, I'm going to want to think about it and then I'm going to do it. And a lot of my clients would sit on the fence for two years or a year or three years and then they will go, it is time to buy something. We can wait until it hits the bottom, but what is it actually going to do for us? So, well, I'm... Because if you live somewhere, just so you know, for the next 10 to 15 to 20 years, does it really matter? Do you think people want to live places for that long now? Well, I think stamp duty is a deterrent to trade out of property on multiple, multiple occasions within a short time frame, right? So, yes, I think people stay in their homes for longer. What A big topic for me, and, mm -hmm. and I believe my side, I mean, I'm really curious to hear your side, yeah. is that in the UK specifically, is this rent versus buy discussion. Yeah. Yeah. So, like you said, stamp duty is crazy. Let's say you're, let's say we're buying a million pound. Obviously, that just to make for the purpose of maps, someone's buying a million pound house. They're going to pay. Let's say they put in ten percent deposit if they're lucky. So they put hundred k in plus stamp duty. They've mm -hmm. tied all that money up. Is that a good investment? Depends if you bought well. Depends if location is going to go up. If you feel there's going to be any capital appreciation. Depends if you can use that money doing other stuff to make more money. So, okay, that's interesting. So, have you, if you, do you think that because I, I actually I speak to a lot of people, um, a lot of our clients are slightly further down the food chain, um, and they've got almost this ingrained mindset and mentality of that's probably come from like just out of the war and their parents, and it's kind of knocked on where you have to in the UK, you have to buy a house, get on the ladder, you right? You have to get on the ladder. You have to property is the only way. And I believe wholeheartedly property is arguably the best investment on the planet, but I don't. I personally don't believe that buying a house that you live in is a good investment. You don't? No, I don't, I don't, I don't, th I don't think... Did you buy your house? I rent. I rent Do you? Yeah. Okay. I mean, what I see in my own situation, which is interesting, is if I were to buy the house I live in, the, I'd probably type about six, seven hundred thousand pounds in stamp duty, I'd obviously lose. Mm -hmm. The deposit would probably be the best part of half a million quid. Um, the price I would pay on a really good mortgage... Um, Let's do a repay, no point talking about interest only. It would be more than I pay um, as for rent. Um, so I'd tie all that money up, and from someone who owns a business, that would just you be... You need that money, right? You need capital crazy. to go and build your business. crazy. Um, but even, I often think that even if I was just, if I was a doctor and I worked, could you, could you make £100,000 grow quicker um, investing it, whether you invested into property or you bought another asset class, could you make that grow quicker than you could... So I think it's difficult for a doctor. Why the doctor's got that? his hands full. Right? So he doesn't have the time. He works every day. And then he'll have to go into a different sector to go invest that money necessarily, right? And then you're going into a sector that you don't know so well. So there's massive risk associated with doing that. Yep. It's like me putting money into shares. I don't know anything about shares. So I'm going to have to take your advice. Well, I trust my own advice in my own industry more than I would trust a lot of other people's, right? It's all about trust. And so 
Yeah, a doctor could do that. Yeah, of course he could. So do you think people should buy it? Should they get on the ladder or should they think oh, about it? Differently? I think if they're going to live somewhere for a long time, yeah, get on the ladder. If there's going to be capital appreciation, get on the ladder. If you don't want to be told what you need to do to upkeep your property and can you paint the walls and can you put nails in the in the in the walls to put a picture up and ask for consent for stuff like that and you don't want to do that, then then don't rent. Um, but it's not about what I think, it's about what the world thinks because we're dictated by the pop mass population. We are. And mass population yeah. wants things instantly and they want to get rid of it, right? Young, young people, full of young people here in this room, yeah? When I was a kid, I practically only traveled to two countries by the, age I was, by the time I was 19. Okay, yeah. I'm telling you, in the next decade, 19-year-olds would have travelled to probably 20 countries. Oh, I mean, people are taking like two years out before they, they finish. It's not even about that. If you're living in Europe, this is a very interesting thing for Europe. Very, very interesting point for Europe. Is if you live in Europe, you can go to 15 to 20 different countries every weekend. Once a weekend, sorry. Couldn't you? Yeah. All right, you can go and experience the world, which is why a lot of Americans are coming to London now to buy real estate because it's cheaper because the currency, yeah? And also they've gone, well, I've, this is what I believe. Well, I've finished having my beach holiday in the Hamptons and in Miami for the past 25 years. See the same people do the same stuff. I've done Aspen 15 times skiing. It's lovely, really enjoy it. I've done my city break in New York. Well, I haven't really experienced Asia or Europe. So now they bounce into Europe and they go, wow. Have you, you driven, have you driven to Positano? Have you gone to, uh, to see the Northern Lights in, in, uh, in Norway and stuff like this? They want to go and experience stuff, right? Yeah. So this is what's happening in the world right now. Is the American market a big market for you now? Yeah, I'm the US ambassador, which means I travel there a lot. I saw it three years ago, um, I had, uh, I like to think ahead of the times, yeah? I mean, there's a pattern to everything. So I like meeting the pattern early and then hoping that it's, I'm going to double down on that in the future. Is that an innate thing that you just like naturally? Creative. Yeah. Yeah, it is creative. I've seen so many people look to buy something and then buy something else. And then I've thought about why they made that decision. And then you start to understand patterns and the way people think. And then you end up being, you know when people say, oh, a couple of steps ahead. Yeah, yeah. Like Dennis Bergkamp, when he played football, would see things before other people would see things. No, we're going to edit out the Arsenal reference. Why? You know, are you, what, are you a Spurs fan, are you? No, Chelsea. Who? Chelsea. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, all right, well, let's say Good Johnson to okay. keep everyone happy. Yeah, that's fine. Forward, not pacey, yeah, not pacey at all, but bright. He saw things happening before it happened. It's because he studied the game and he had this innate feeling as to where things were going to change and what was going to happen. There's no reason. The best businessmen do that, the best. And so I saw an opportunity with the US. I thought to myself, hmm, there's a lot of um, DTC businesses, direct-to-consumer businesses. Now with, with, the in, with, yeah. with social media and bits and pieces, I can go and sell my own product at home, right, to millions of people. And I thought to myself, hmm, who does that sort of stuff, Americans? Well, uh, or North Americans. And I thought to myself, okay, well, I think they're going to make a lot of money. How do you... And so I spent my time going out there. How do you tap into that market? Do I go and speak to people? the best brokers on the planet there. They become my friends. 
and then we go and do business together because sharing is caring. That's how you build a business. Now, a lot of people have looked at, they would have watched things like Million Dollar Listing. There's a lot of focus on American real estate. Um, now, Best that, thing to happen in our industry. What, how do, what do you think the UK can take from that? Do you think we should consider copying so, the same model? So, fir so firstly, people thought that that program was absolutely bonkers, right? And they took the biscuit about it. It was the best thing for our industry because it glamorized our business and it puts us in a different level to other things. I've been on that show a few times. All the guys have to dig out the archives. Yeah, you dig out the archives. The guy with the funny accent, yeah, is me. Um, albeit there's a couple of British boys who are out there doing yeah. it in LA. Um, I know all the guys and girls very well. They're all exceptional at what they do. They really are. They know what they're doing. They have an amazing platform to do business. And it was great. And they've tried to do it in the UK. I've been approached a few times to do it. Um, but we've, we, the business has chosen not to go down that route. Um, and which is a bit disappointing because I think London would love it. Yeah, yeah I'd, I'd, for me personally, just yeah, from being think, British, I'd love to see it. I think the demographic of our people now would want to see it. We're all consuming the same content across the planet now. And, and when you have mass audience for certain programs, it's not just the Americans that are watching it, it's people all over the world. So why wouldn't our audience like it? Albeit there's a, there's a stronger element of privacy here in the UK than there probably is in the US. But um, what I said before, when one person thinks something and does it, other people tend to think it too because it resonates with people. So now people have done it in America, people are going to do it for the rest of the world. And a lot of these guys, Fredericks and Josh and Matt and Tracy and all these people on the show, they're all friends. Yeah. How did you meet them? You just out there? Through the business. Our partners are Douglas Element, strategic partners in the US. They've got something like 7,000 brokers. And so when I go out there, they're really hospitable. And I meet these guys because they're right at the top of the industry and we talk about business and, you know, it's fascinating. So like, one, we, we spoke about this we, uh, off camera when we first met. Mm. Um, but for those people that are watching this for the first time and kind of, I know that people watch the show and are fascinated by the commission checks, just explain the difference between the sales model in America and how that sales process versus why it's different in the UK. Because people know that in America you get that 6% that's freed up for the buyer and the seller, but in the UK it's different. So why is that? So from a transactional point of view, um, I think it's a much more efficient model. In, in the States? Yeah, because what happens is there's a big chunk of, of money, yeah, there's 6% there, that gets cut in half. It's five to six, sometimes it's even Does less. Does that come off the, the price of the property or is it on top? No, it's a commission of, it's a, it's a, it's a percentage of the sale of the okay. property, like here. So, this, so the seller, appoints a broker. The broker then goes to their database and tries to sell the asset and they'll earn the full 6%. But they'll also buy in the whole market and say, well, I've got 3%, so half my 6%, for anyone who introduces a buyer to us. And then the broker will negotiate on behalf of his client or her client, okay? And then out of that 3%, because in most instances, they're not double-ending the deal, yeah. right? They will earn 60 to 90%, okay? It's a lot of money. They make a lot of money. Yeah, it's a very efficient model and they make a lot of money. In the UK, it's very different. It's anywhere between one, one and a half to 3%, depending on how many companies you've got working for you to sell your property. And then the company earns the commission and in my instance, in our business, we pay a salary, a B 
bigger salary with a, with a bonus at the end of the year. Okay, depending on your performance, how senior you are, how long you've been there for, and so on and so on. So you were telling me that you get a yearly target, a million pound in fees, and they've started to bump that up. What's the... Yeah, my target my target's been two million pounds for the past couple of years. Um, look, I don't look at my target. Yeah. And I would... As long as, as long as the individual who's doing the job has a similar mindset to me, which is work super hard, do the right thing, and make sure you capitalize on opportunity, okay? You don't need to look at your target. Because your target will, in some instances, force you to make the wrong decision. Because you're focused on hitting that number. Yeah, so what happens is, is, is that, let's say the person isn't ready to bid on something, but you want to hit your target, you might call the person and say, right, are you ready to bid? And they might go, why are you asking me if I want to bid now? I'm not ready. If I was ready, I'd let you know. Now, all of a sudden, you lose that opportunity now for the next six months, let's say. There's no way you're hitting your target. So it's just, it's put you in a place where you shouldn't be doing that with zero empathy and consideration. Do so I don't look at my target. Do other agents, a little bit off topic, but the other agents work together? Obviously, you see on the, in the States, in the, in the US model, there's a lot of collaborations, a lot of teamwork. There's both. It's both. It's both. There's a lot of collaboration with a certain group of people I trust who are brilliant at what they do. And then there's a lot of competition. And in some instances, it crosses, and some, sometimes it doesn't. I would like to think I have zero enemies in the market, and I have loads of friends. I wanted to be the dolphin, right, in the <laughs> shark-infested waters. Yeah, I wanted to be the guy. So one of my clients was the youngest ever partner at Goldman Sachs. Super nice guy. Like, lovely. Like a teddy bear. And uh, I didn't sell them their property. Met them through the industry. Didn't sell them their property, but I advised them. Didn't earn a penny. I wasn't interested in earning a penny. They asked my advice. That's worth a huge amount to me. My pride, everything. Yeah? But now we're friends. And so I'm able to have his audience and ask him questions. And I said to him one day, I said to him, how did you become the youngest ever partner at Goldman Sachs? And he said, because I was a nice guy and everyone wanted to do business with me. That's it. Then, like, you probably but, but a lot of people but, but don't is, think that's how it is. But is it interesting? Think about it. To me, it's not, it's not surprising. Um, I can imagine that, but I, I can also see that it's... You can imagine someone like Goldman Sachs would be quite ruthless. Well, it where's might that, where's be. Where's Well, the guy's obviously nice guy super, the guy's super intelligent, very good at his job, sophisticated, charming, all that sort of stuff. But people wanted to do business with him. And it's really simple. If someone sees a moment of friction with you, they don't like you, they don't trust you, um, they think you're dishonest, any questions related to any of those things, they might not pick up the phone to you. Yeah. What's the longest that you've had to cultivate a relationship for and sort of almost like stalk a client? Continue? 20 years. 20 years. I'm cultivating all the time. One of you guys might buy a property from me in the next 10 years. Yeah, we'd like to think so. Definitely. Right, it's cultivating. That's what it is. I mean, I'm not doing it in a in a like highly targeted fashion. I'm just myself, and I'm in, I believe that I'm inherently a good person. That's how I look at things. And so, if someone doesn't like me, that's their problem, not mine, because I haven't done anything for you to dislike me. 
Um, but if people trust me and they like me and they feel that you're going to get value add and I'm good at what I do, then I'd like to think they're going to pick up the phones and ask my advice. A friend of mine won the lottery yesterday. How much? He won a million pounds. Did he? Right. He's not my best friend. I've known him over the past couple of years. We haven't been out for drinks and dinners and all that sort of stuff. But I've given him some advice over the past couple of years in a sector that I don't know particularly well. And a price point and location, I don't know particularly well. But I gave him my advice. And my time is precious. I'm nervous to look at my phone, let me put it that way. I was the second person. He called me up. He said, I'm the second person he's telling this to. He sent me a message. I put it on Instagram to say, I obviously concealed his name, to say, I've just won the lottery. Like, I would love your help with things. Please can we have a lunch? And I need to know how to invest it. Okay? I didn't expect anything from him. Right? I'm in a fortunate position. I've got a huge amount of knowledge that I'm happy to share with people. That's great. Love that. And so I'm not cultivating to a certain extent, but the deal that I did for 95 million pounds, I knew the client for three years. We've been looking at property for three years. It took us, you know, we saw the best properties in London. It was a really astute purchase. Yeah. How much, at that level, how much do people think about, um, do they think about like the, the they think the about everything. Sterling, they think like yeah, the they think about everything. There's no impulse. It's too expensive to have an impulse purchase now. It costs you 15% to buy something. Yeah. There, are there different level of solicitors and lawyers that you'd use at a transaction at that level? Yeah. There are two kinds of lawyers in this world. Deal doers and deal breakers. So, I'm... A lawyer needs to do two things. He needs to advise his client properly right, and tell them what problems there are in the paperwork and then deliver a solution. If you have a lawyer who just tells you about the problem and not the solution, he's the wrong lawyer so for you. So actually at that level then, it's not, as in, it's not as simple a transaction as it is that someone... It's much easier. It, it, it is much easier. You're right. It is much easier and I don't have to hold lawyers' hands. I've got a huge amount of respect for them. They don't do deals at this level by being fools at what they do. They're very bright. They have a lot of expertise and they know what they're doing. And so in many instances, I'll pick up the phone to them, I'll say, I'm doing the deal, this is the story, here's some background information, here's my mobile number, if you need anything, let me know, otherwise I'm gonna leave you alone. I don't have to push people. And sometimes when I do, I know what I'm doing, yeah? Do you know one of the things that actually we share in common is, and I, I, I find, I, until I met you properly today and we had, yeah. uh, had a real conversation, I felt quite alone and unique in that way of thinking, but, from listening to you, talk a lot about trust. Yeah. Clearly talk a lot about integrity. You talk about being a nice guy doing for people, which is like such a different um, ethos that I imagine people watching this and hearing the figures, looking at the type of property that's sold, the high value of it, people would assume ruthlessness, cutthroat, they see it. And, and maybe the stuff in the US like portrays that like more of that cutthroat environment. But I, I share the same values as you. I think it's important. I, I treat everyone like a client. There's a lot of people I'll just continually call, speak to, I'll visit, I'll have a coffee, just on the off chance that they, in the future, have the potential to be someone that you do business with. And I think if you start to sow those seeds, you clearly think that, it kind of bears fruit later down the line. I do 70% of my business with people I've done business with before. And it was a lot of referral business, a lot. So. I'll, I'll, I'll put it into perspective in relation to numbers. 
during my year, April 2018 to April 2019, I advised my independent clients, so individuals across London, mainly London, some in Paris and other places, on £891 million worth of property. These are single homes, not big developments of 70 apartments. Do you have institutional clients that will buy a lot? Yeah, I have some, but I mean, not many. It's not my industry, it's not my, my work, but I, I can get right to the top of that business. Like I, know the, I know the people, yeah. because usually the people at the top of those, those businesses have bought property from me, or some of my colleagues. And so I've advised on strategy, pricing, marketing, showing the tour of the property. It's all thought through, negotiation, execution, done it all for all these clients. That's in one year. And these all people know me and they trust me to give them the right advice. Do you get the desire to do your own thing? Can you see? I semi feel like I'm doing my own thing already to a certain extent. You feel like you run your own business within a business? Yeah, to a certain extent. Look, I don't need much management. People don't need to manage me. You're like a lone wolf in that respect. Um, Dolphin, lone dolphin, no. Uh, look, people are starting to be a little bit f more free thinkers and the demographic of the people we're doing business with is changing, therefore you have to change. You need to have a little bit more autonomy so you can be creative and then, and then, and then um, find opportunity and then attack it, right? And if you're doing that by being micromanaged, then you, you're in a difficult place, you know? And, and also, you know, I'm old enough. I've been doing this for a long time. I don't need to be told where I need to go and what I need to do. Does age, does age matter? Does, do, do any clients look at someone who's younger than you? Let's say there's a 27-year-old individual that's trying to hit the same client base, trying to do the same types of deals. Do, yeah. do they favour you because you're older? Is it, does, yeah, I'm sure they do. It's got to a stage where I've got a bit of grey hair and, and some people go, oh, he's got grey hair, so he must know what he's doing. But I can tell you that if I was selling my property, one of the first names on that list would be a 25-year-old guy who works with me. Is he the hot rising star? Is he the new dad? No, I just, I just like the way he works. I think he would chew through a wall to do something for me, right? I think there's a number of people in my industry who would do that, who are just exceptional estate agents. Like, really. You could pick them up and drop them in Miami, and they'd be brilliant. They just have the ability to do it. So I think age is really important unless you're being mentored. How could someone, how could someone who owns it, I've got a few friends that own smaller like independent agencies yeah. in and around London. How can someone muscle into the big, big bucks? It's super difficult. It's super it, is, is there a way, is there a route to do that? Is there any sort of inside tips well, that they can? Well, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't teach someone how to, how to take business I, away from me. I think it'd be a long while before they was, start affecting night. No, I, I, I really, I think, uh, I saw a post about, um, I put myself in a bit of an issue here and I can't remember the guy's name. Who was the first guy to, to step on the moon? Uh, Armstrong. Okay. Neil Armstrong. Neil Armstrong. So I saw a post on Instagram and the guy who was in the spaceship with Neil Armstrong was interviewed and he said, how come Neil Armstrong stepped on the moon first? And he said, because he was closest to the door. What did that tell you? It tells you if you put yourself in the best position to do well, you'll win. That's what he said to me. He was closest to the door. That's why, he, that's why everyone knows his name. I don't even remember the other guy's name. It's like Chelsea just beat Arsenal in the European Cup. 
Yes, we did. No one will ever remember that Arsenal was in that final. No. They won't. They'll remember Chelsea won it. Yeah? But the Armstrong thing was just like, an ama- it was just an amazing, I just thought that was just brilliant. So people want to get into the sector, have to put, them in, have to put themselves in the right place. It's like anything. How would you, as, as more of like a, on a management, like mentorship level, how, how, if someone's watching this and they've got staff that are in sale, whether it's in the property industry or whether it's something different, what, what advice would you give to motivate and get the most out of your team? I think as a manager, you are there now to help your staff do extremely well. Before yourself. Not the other way around. Yeah. Not staff do well to help me. No. So the way I look at it is it's actually quite self based on what you're saying, it's a selfless position, isn't it? It's like it's it actually becomes less about you than it becomes about the You have to truly be a mentor. Have to have that innate ability. Right? I also think technology is going to take a lot of managers' jobs away. That's what I think. And therefore you have to be a creative thinker, a marketeer, yeah, someone who can market themselves, and someone who's exceptional at execution. Because if you're a manager and you're there to tell somebody you have to you have to make phone calls between nine and ten. And then you do viewings between ten and twelve. A computer can tell you to do that for nothing. So how does it so if someone's a manager now, what do they do to You have to be an amazing mentor. You have to be an amazing to the most you have to be people. an amazing mentor and you have to be able to to uh, excite and inspire people. That is your job. That is your job as a manager. And to keep people in tow so they don't overstep the mark. At the level you're at, do you still have someone above you in the business that's technically doing that or are you beyond that stage? It's not not about being on that stage. Like I'm learning all the time from everyone I meet. I learn from everyone. Look, I'll sit in the car. I just got an Uber and I had to get out because the traffic was so bad. But um, I asked the guy, where is he from? So he said, he said he's a Ghanaian. So I said, okay, cool. Um, I've got a Ghanaian friend. So I heard something interesting about um, Ghanaian people is that their first name is actually the day of the week. Yeah, I heard that as well. They were born, right? Sunday and things like that. Yeah. Um, well, there's different names. And so I didn't know that. I learned from everyone. That's how I look at it. And so do I have a manager who teaches me stuff? No, he doesn't sit down and go, well, you need to do better at this. But they might tell me things that I didn't know. And so we catch up on an ad hoc basis. How big is your team? We're expanding. There's about seven of us now just about to employ someone else, had loads of CVs, um, which is a very hard place to be. Interviewing is not easy. I enjoy it, but it's not easy because some people are really polished at interviews. And then yeah, we've had this problem recently. We just hired, I don't even know if I should say this, you probably watch this and kill me. Um, we had someone come in that was r- really, really bullish actually, like an amazing approach to get the job, great interview. And then it just, I mean, it just fell apart from the first minute. Mm. Do you, how long do you give someone before you? You don't, I don't really have to do that. Um, I, I've never fired anybody. Um, it's not really in my job description to do stuff like that. The team's quite lean. But I think it's such a strong environment. The environment we've created in the team. So high level. It it's, it's, people. It's, yeah, it, it's so determined, so focused. So, you know focus on the minutiae, you've got to get this right, that if you're not doing it and you're not capable, 
you're going to just say I'm out. Right, so you get, probably get more people just think, oh, this is a little bit too much for me. I didn't yeah, I'm sure that. some people are super nervous to work with me, but um, not, like not, not nervous. Hold on, not nervous, not nervous, because that's not fair. But I think some people might be nervous about the workload. Um, and I really want people to excel in their job. I have a huge amount of them. Like I've just got a new uh, assistant, and I can tell that she's going to be amazing. I re- I can just tell. She's started off and it's just brilliant and it's so nice. And I've said to my assistants over the years, I said, You want us to cut this bit I out? Said to, no, no, why? No, 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 no. Honesty, integrity, open, you know. Um, I said to my, uh, my assistants over the years, and I still stay in touch with a lot of them. I said to them, Look, it's not easy. This job's not easy. I'm super determined to, to make a big statement in my life. I want to create a legacy. I want the best day of my life to be the day that I die, right? So lots of people turn up to my uh, funeral and say, he had the most amazing impact on my life. That's what I want. It's not about how much money I've got in the bank, stuff like that, not interested. I just want to have a massive positive impact on the world. And, and, I, say, and I say to all my sisters, like, this is going to be, this is going to be tough. It's not going to be easy. It's going to be tough because we want to go out and we want to capture the world. Right? That's what I want to do. And I want you to help me do it. And we're going to do it together. And that's what I say to the team. And I say to him, and if you're fed up after a few years or whatever it is, and you want to go and ride ponies or do whatever it is you want to do, then I wish you luck with it. You go and live your life and be happy. But when you go for another job in the estate agency world and you say, I've worked in the private office at Night Frank for Daniel Daggers and Charles you're going to command a better salary. What's, what's your team look like at the moment? What are the key comp- How many sales people do you have? You said you've got seven. There's seven, seven fee income producing people, a few support staff who are amazing. What's your ratio? Because we're talking about two to, one, two, to one. two to one, two to one, three to one, stuff like that. But, you know, if our technology is good enough, we don't need too many people, as long as they add value. Um, but... The support staff are vital. I, I say they're my right arm. They're my right arm. They really are. And then I've got Charles who works with me, um, who's a partner, who's unbelievably talented, so suave, so cool. Younger or older than you? Younger than me, cooler than me, more handsome than me, taller than me. Um, We've got the wrong person, haven't we? Yeah, 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 yeah. But he's, he's, a, he's got a really bright future and I'm very, very, very fond of him. Um, he's he's brilliant, and and a couple of other guys and and girls. I'd like to see more girls, to be honest. Yeah, that, uh, having a daughter, I'd, that's something that's I'm really focused on giving more people. We I, need some female it. superstars. We really do. We need some female superstars. I think women bring an enormous amount of value, and they mm-hmm. get the the hundred percent they deserve. Hundred percent. But it, but I'm only going to give a job to somebody that really deserves it, right? Yeah, of course. But I think there's a lot of people that are in the shadows at the moment. That are women um, that can do the job equally, if mm-hmm. not better than some people that sure. currently have their positions. I wouldn't disagree at all. What's what's the next five years spell for you? What's the future? <laughs> um, I just think there's massive opportunity. Growing up now is just the most amazing opportunity for young people. You you sound excited. It sounds like I'm super excited. I see an opportunity in everything. My mind's creative. I'm thinking about how things are changing. 
I'll sit on the I'll sit on the tube on the odd occasion on the underground, and uh, uh, the reason why I started the Instagram thing was because I just noticed I went on the tube one day and I noticed everyone was on Instagram. And then I went to America and I saw all the brokers out there doing posts about them in, uh, you know, in really cool places, but it wasn't necessarily selling anything or selling the work. And I thought to myself, well, if I if I flip that on its head and I do eighty percent work, twenty percent me and I'm talking to a big audience, then not only can I help people in the industry, not only can I portray doing good is the right thing to do, but I can also maybe execute some business. We've talked about you being number one. It's pretty clear from the figures you're number one. What do you do to have that hunger, that desire still? Because I'm I just enjoy it. I just love the journey. I just love waking up and doing stuff. Me sat at home not doing anything. It's really can you, difficult. Can you ever envisage like retirement around the corner? Or? No, I'll never retire. Why? Do you think you'll always stay in property, or do you think you'll? Pursue? No, I'm going to get my. I'm going to go into loads of stuff. Well, why? I mean, like, look, if you're good at sales, you can almost adopt anything oh, from a sales perspective, right? Because selling is just understanding the. It's having a huge amount of empathy and understanding the consumer. And if you understand the consumer and you see pattern and you have empathy, then all of a sudden you don't just sell real estate, you could sell shoes, you could sell whatever you want. You, re you, really, you really can. So I've got friends that approach me with business ideas. A friend of mine just got a license to, to bring a very big American brand here, a restaurant brand. And, and I sat down with him and I went, well, you need to do this, 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 this. He said, I've just employed a marketing company to tell me some, some of this stuff. And, they, they didn't tell me half of this. So I said, we'll just adopt it, it's cheap, it's not expensive to do this, this and this. He said, yeah, you're right. And, and, and you know, I'm, I'm not gonna ask him for anything. He's, I want him to be a huge success. And so there's the restaurant business and then there's other stuff and oh, I just think it's an amazing what, opportunity. What area outside of London excites you the most? From what, from an investment from, point of view? Not necessarily, well, I mean, yeah, from an investment, but what's a city that you think if you didn't work in London that you would love to? Love to work in just for the environment, lifestyle. So if I was property. in my mid twenties, it'd be New York. If I had my life again, I'd have moved York. to New York at twenty-five and gone and enjoyed that city because it's got the most amazing energy and environment, and you can be extremely successful in a in a speedier fashion there. Um, so I would do that. What's the best place that you've been to in the world? Uh, I've, I've been to some amazing places. South Africa was just amazing over New Year's, which is beautiful. I'm going there in December, actually. I, I climbed Lion's Head on the end of the year and I watched the sun go down. And it, that was amazing. It was a great way to sign off the year. That was really spiritual and beautiful. That was really nice. I really like Malibu in, in the US. Um, I've been to some amazing places. They're, they're nice. They what, resonate what about with me. Europe? Where do you like? Italy. Italy. Italy's just beautiful. It really is just so romantic and so gorgeous. They really know how to do that. So one, I think one, we'll finish up on this point. What's your words of wisdom to the world? Someone's looking at, forget property for a second. We've talked an amazing amount about what people can do in property, but what's your, your words, your life ethos, if you like? If someone's going to watch this and you're going to give them one piece of advice, live their life by what would you would you say it is I 
I'd say the word consequences is really important. Your actions, what you do, what happens, will tell you a lot about how your life is going to be led in the future. Right? So if you're a good person and you're honest and you're true and you're nice and you're a good human, the consequences related to that are positive. Amazing. That's what I would say. Pleasure. Oh, no, thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. Thanks, mate. Thank you.